I'm Eileen Dunn and this is The God Slot. Avlin Fuevosha, August Forte, a very happy new year to you. Speaking last March at the Abrahamic Religions Dinner in Belfast, Cardinal Sean Brady said that the Gospel, the Tanakh and the Quran were all books of peace and expressed his belief that it was only by dialoguing together, by respectfully acknowledging the action of God in our respective traditions, that the world could be offered a future and a hope. Bearing the Cardinal's words in mind, we've invited representatives of the Abrahamic religions in Ireland to do just that, to dialogue together. And the Godslot extends a warm welcome tonight to the Church of Ireland Archbishop of Dublin, Michael Jackson, the Roman Catholic Bishop of Dromore, Dr John McAreevy, a senior staff member of the Islamic Institute in Clonski, Ali Salim. Now, this programme has been recorded, so I can assure all our Jewish listeners that Rabbi Zalman Lent is attending to his Friday night religious duties rather than sitting in a radio studio. But Rabbi Lent, you're also very welcome. Thank you. Firstly, can I ask all of you about the state of faith practice in your respective religions? Archbishop Jackson, if I could start with you, maybe. One of the difficulties I think that we have both north and south is that What previously may have been areas of fairly dense population like the inner city, there are not all that many members of the Church of Ireland who are living there. And so there's tremendous strain there. If you look at any given point, you will often say, well, why are there so few people here? Or a thing which I'm beginning to hear in a rather insulting way, why are there so many people with grey hair here? Or why are the people here only those who have grey hair? Because actually what's essential in a religious tradition is that people keep the tradition going as well as keeping it critical. So I think we need to remain open and to remain positive. Inevitably, the numbers are shifting. I think the statisticians will tell us that our numbers are rising. But my concern is actually that the density of um, witness uh, is not, in a sense such that you can identify it in every place. That's where my alarm would be. Ali, picking up on something that the Archbishop said, the density and people gathering together, would you find that with yours as well? If you go back to the history of the Muslim community in Ireland that started in the early 50s, we were talking about a few hundreds that turned into a couple of thousands until the 90s. In today's time, according to the last censor that was issued in 2011, it showed the number of Muslims in Ireland to be 50,000 Muslims. That rapid increase shows that uh, Muslims of all diasporas, they like to adhere to the religion. Two-thirds of uh, the Muslim community in Ireland is made of uh, young and adult children. Zalman, if I can come to you and, and the Jewish tradition and observance. The um, Jewish community in Ireland is very small. I think the last census, there were under 2,000 Jewish people in the whole country, mainly located in, in Dublin. Uh, I think in terms of, of faith, it's it's been kind of stable. Maybe we're seeing a little bit of a regeneration. Uh, attendance at the synagogue is quite good. And also what we're seeing is quite a few new families that are moving into town, you know, working for the multinationals. And, and so they're bringing a new vibrancy, you know, similar to what Michael was saying, is that there's often lots of uh, grey hair around the synagogue, which is, which is wonderful. But we often tell the parents, you know, if there are no kids, there are no goats. You know, if the kids are not there, they won't be there when they're adults either. 
and Bishop McAreevy. Obviously our community has experienced a lot of difficulties in recent years uh, but at the at the personal level I just think a lot of people value uh, immensely their, their relationship with God. I think the big challenge for our church today is to is to lead people from a conventional perhaps rather superficial uh, faith which they learnt as children uh, and to particularly through the study of the scriptures and through the study of uh, the, the, the church's life and, and traditions to come to a deeper personal understanding of what their faith means to them now. There was a sense, I suppose, during the Celtic Tiger that a lot of people abandoned religion for a more materialistic way of life. Now that we're going through this quite difficult period of austerity, what do you think the church can offer people now? Poverty doesn't necessarily bring people back to God. I think people have to rediscover something that's of value to them. Religion isn't just for people who are broken, though it's there very especially for people who are broken. But uh, I think people need to find for themselves something that they can hold on to, something that will give them hope and encouragement. Well, I personally, I haven't seen any impact on the Muslim community. Nevertheless, I have to admit the fact that people, when they are in difficulty, they tend to think more spiritually. And in easier time, then people uh, might go one way or, or the other. And and that's why we, if we look at uh, countries where there are difficulties or war, things like that, then you will find the unifying factor for all people will be a, a religious matter. Archbishop Jackson. I think brokenness of itself does not ennoble anybody. And therefore the challenge for people who work or speak in a godlike way is actually to address something which is much more basic, much more devastating, much more simple, which is that of neighbourliness. And I think there's a whole new movement of people building up a religious expectation and excitement. People say from the bottom up, I don't think that's quite fair either, but from actually neighbourliness. And that's one of the encouragements at the beginning of a new year. Salman, would you like to come in on that? I think um, economic difficulties sometimes can bring out the best in some people. Um, We find... um, Lots of people stepping forward to help those in need. Uh, whether or not it's changed prayer and synagogue attendance, I'm not sure. I don't think we've seen a, a great difference. Definitely, once people are are broken and and suffering, they they start to rethink their priorities in life, and maybe they find solace in the things of their childhood. Maybe attending the synagogue with the parents and grandparents. So, it's it's. I think it's partially going back to the things that make you feel comfortable whether it's the friendship of the of being at the prayers with friends whether it's bringing back memories of of childhood uh, rather than using prayer as a crutch okay let's come to some of the specific <coughs> issues now and i'm very conscious that i'm sitting here as the one woman surrounded by four men um would you accept that there's at least a perception that your various faiths and religions treat women as second class citizens I will say definitely not. (laughs) I don't see the relation between man and woman as competing relation, but I see them as integrating with each other. God created man and woman in two different nature, likewise he did with all other components of the universe so that there can be something called integration, accomplishing prosperity and reaching success in this life and the life to come. 
to our perception, particularly in the West, if we're looking at Islam, particularly the hijab and the burqa and all of that, we see women as being kept down, perhaps. Yeah, I have I have to admit this is the mistake not of the West, but of some people living in the West, to, in, in fairness to everybody. I have to appear in front of non-family members dressed in a certain way. Likewise, my wife has to do the same thing. This is not something that my wife imposes on me, nor it is something that I impose on my wife, but it, we see it as a religious obligation. And we don't see this as an uh, Islamic invention, but in our books, it's really that this is something that we can see in previous divine revelations. Bishop McAreevy. I, I, would, I would like to uh, make sure that in any councils where decisions are being made, where uh, insights are being given, where experience is shared, and where you're planning for the future, I, I would like it to be the case that the experience and the insights and the wisdom and everything that women bring to our society, that that, that would be heard and that would be that would be uh, available to me. At a diocesan level, dealing with areas like catechetics or safeguarding or you know any number of areas, uh, finance and so on, thankfully that is increasingly the, the case and uh, I, I am hugely um, enriched by that. Could you see a day when there will be women priests? At the moment our church has, has clearly set its, has set its head against that, or its mind or its face against that and uh, and, and not, not out of any kind of chauvinism or misogyny but out of a belief that this is how Christ has, has formed his church and that in some sense to be faithful to that uh, this is this is how this is how we must be. I wonder if I could just maybe add Archbishop something there. Jackson. I think that really Western males have no option but um, to regard ourselves as the beneficiaries both of secular feminism and feminist theology. Now, one of the things which happened towards the end of last year, 2012, uh, was I think to the surprise of many um, the collapse of the vote for the ordination of women to the episcopate uh, in the Church of England. Because everybody felt that, you know, as Rowan Williams was going out on a high, as a new Archbishop of Canterbury had been announced, Justin Welby, that this thing would go through, not quite on the nod, but it would go through. But the fascinating thing is that was it fell not in the house of clergy, nor in the house of the bishops, but in the, the house laity. of the laity, which in a sense you might say contradicts my earlier argument, but it actually means that we need, as it were, to continue working at the argument. The position, as I imagine all of our listeners know in relation to the Church of Ireland, is that theoretically, for about 20, 25 years now, women may be ordained in the Church of Ireland to the diaconate, the priesthood and the episcopate. We have a significant number of women who are priests. We do not yet have a woman who is a bishop. That's not an exercise in exclusion. It simply has not yet happened because of our process of electing um, bishops. It just hasn't come through in that way. But I think Is it likely that, to? Um, well, I think there's every possibility uh, because the longer the argument sits there unused, the greater the pressure is to make it work. Zalman, what about the role of women in Judaism? Um, I think the perception... Uh, in the Orthodox community, at least, has been for many years that there's a secondary role for women because the prayers are led by males in the synagogue, the rabbi, the cantor. The um, rulings on that are, are absolutely clear. The, the only reason is because the synagogue is a place for prayer and if there are women leading the prayers, the male weakness leads them to being distracted during the prayer. So that was why it was set up in that system, is that uh, we want the males to focus on the prayer 
we want the women to pray as well. <clears throat> and so uh, that's the reason why there were never women rabbis or women cantors in the Orthodox uh, community. I hope you don't <coughs> mind if I share with listeners, but the first time that we met, you weren't allowed to shake my hand. That's now right. that I, I, I just hadn't come across it before, so it, it took me aback a little bit. And it's not the case with all Jews, is it? No, that's an Orthodox uh, tradition. And again, nowadays it looks, uh, it's, very, it's very strange at first sight why a, a man wouldn't shake hands with a woman. But it's the same, my wife wouldn't shake hands with a male outside her family. So I wouldn't shake hands with a female outside my family. Um, and again, it's about physical, it's about setting a boundary of physical contact, that physical contact you only have with your family. So with your spouse or with your children, parents, uh, siblings, and not with someone outside that family unit it's it's kind of a protection that things don't get don't lead on from there. So religious once you're not shaking hands with someone, there's no uh, fear of <clears throat> you know misbehavior in the office or stuff because the boundary set so very close. Now I I, I do agree that in today's um, perception it, it does seem very strange, but it's a tradition Orthodox Jews have dating back thousands of years. Well, now, moving on to more immediate matters, with the ongoing discussions in the Doyle about abortion, the hearings this week prior to government decisions to legislate around the X case and the allegations of church interference in civil matters, what are your feelings about the rights of faith groups to make their teachings known about such issues? One of the things I think is Archbishop quite Jackson. interesting that you know sets this discussion in context is <clears throat> what is the continuing entitlement of people of faith to influence um, the shape of public opinion or at what point does influence look like interference and I think that is one of the big issues which I haven't really heard articulated in the context of not simply a contemporary Ireland but a fast moving Ireland and an Ireland which increasingly uh, is full of a population of people who make up their own minds about things. So I think it is really important that people who are citizens have the opportunity um, to address really difficult issues and I think one of them quite rightly is abortion and the second surely is end of life issues because those two things I think are going to be massive for the rest of this decade because the pressure which comes from people in different circumstances defining uh, their own dignity in life and in death is surely a further development of the freedom that people take to themselves as they move. Now that I think, to be honest, is in direct confrontation with um, publicly articulated uh, statements and positions of most world faiths. And so I think we're in for a very, very stormy period. But what I would have to say is I don't think it's an entitlement, and I don't think anybody wants to do it, of individual faith traditions to close down public debate. But I think by the same token, individual faith traditions are entitled to make their contribution into that, not simply as saying, we are inviting you to stop at red lights because this is dangerous, but also to say, think of the implications of this in relation to what you will lose as well as what you will gain. And I think that's a responsible way to facilitate discussion and dialogue. But you need to be in the dialogue if you're going to facilitate it. And uh, Ali and Zama, can I ask you to come in here, that, that notion of <coughs> the different faiths influencing public policy? Well, from, from a Muslim point of view, issues pertaining to... Um, uh, like 
this type of things that we are discussing, uh, we in the, among the Muslim community, these issues are determined according to the religion. Islam is a very theocentered religion. When it comes to life and death, we see this as the gift of God, that nobody had the right to interfere in it. Well, hence, abortion from a Muslim point of view is a crime and cannot be legalized from our point of view unless it puts the mother's life in danger. We see life as the gift of God. Nobody had the right to put an end to his or other's life. It's only God who had the right to do to decide that. In the three-phase form, like you'll see representatives from the three Abrahamic faith sitting around a table discussing issues of common concern. And, and I haven't seen any disagreement about these issues so far. For the Muslims to cooperate with others, in actual fact, it is not a choice, but it is an Islamic obligation to cooperate uh, regarding whatever is classified as enjoining justice from a Muslim point of view. So uh, we have done this in the past. The issue of abortion was raised a number of years uh, ago, and I think there was a cooperation between the Catholic Church and and the Muslim community in Ireland. I'm not aware of any cooperation currently regarding that issue, to the best of my knowledge, but it happened in the past. Muslims are very much open to cooperate when it comes to issues of common concern. Salman? There are some similarities with what Ali said in the the Jewish faith. uh, Abortion is is quite clear-cut in that uh, if there is any risk um, to the physical or mental health of the mother, so then um, there would be permission given for an abortion. Um, and of course, the the recent uh, tragedy with Savita uh, has brought that whole discussion to, again to the fore, and it's a really important discussion. And I think that the voices of the faiths um, have to be heard and contribute, so that when they're legislating, all of those different opinions are heard and <clears throat> and try to find uh, the best route. Um, to deal with these things out of a sense of compassion and fairness. We spoke to a Hindu monk before Christmas uh, <clears throat> who they would make the dis- a big distinction and look after the bigger life as they see it mm. being the mother's life. And that's something that we don't really consider in this country. Yeah, it's it's not a distinction that we make, Eileen, between one life being bigger and presumably in that sense more important and more worthy of protection. Bishop Macarivi. Certainly, I, th- I think in the in the broad Christian tradition, the idea uh, of uh, the mother and the unborn child being equally deserving of uh, respect because they come from God uh, is, is very deeply rooted. Uh, and so, uh, and at the same time though, um, so sometimes the impression is given that uh, that as certainly my own church is somehow uh, actually wants to put the baby's life at a higher uh, or put a higher premium or a higher value on the on the on the life of the baby, and that that's not the case. The mother and child have have an equal right, and that in terms of medical treatment, that everything, absolutely everything that needs to be done to save the life of a mother, uh, must be done and should be done, even if as a consequence of that or a consequence of that, is that the baby may die. But Bishop McAreevy, um, in the context of Ireland opening out and becoming a more cosmopolitan society, if you like, don't we have to take account of other people's traditions and other people's beliefs? Certainly, there's no question, and Michael made this point earlier, of any religious tradition wishing to impose its own its own values or to dictate to legislators as to what they should do. Uh, but I think... Each religious tradition makes its own best contribution to the common good by speaking its own truth. 
and the the truth and the value which uh, our church has uh, wanted to uphold in this area is that it is simply wrong to directly and intentionally destroy the life of an unborn child. Another issue that's causing a lot of discussion at the moment is is the issue of same-sex marriage. How do your different uh, faiths and churches feel about that? If I can come to the two possibly lesser known views on it. Well, um, Judaism is uh, Zalman. very, very strong, strongly pro-marriage family and sees marriage as the union of a, of a, a man and woman raising, raising children together. At the same time, we understand that people are born in, in different ways. Not everyone is the same. And we, we strive to stress compassion empathy and understand where people are coming from and in terms of specifics the uh, the Jewish faith we under you know there are many stories of the bible of of uh, two males that had an extremely close bond and it's understood that that two people of the same sex can have a very very close strong intimate relationship and there's and that's fine uh, the only Judaism just draws the line at physical intimacy Ali <clears throat> From a Muslim point of view, yes, I stress what Zaman said. Yes, we see family as the cornerstone of the whole society. You will not have a successful society unless this is based on strong family relation. This family, from a Muslim point of view, is made of a male and a female. Consequently, same-sex relation is not allowed in Islam. Whether it is legal or not legal in Ireland, I believe that Islam will never uh, will never bless that relation. And if I can bring in the two bishops, Michael Jackson, yeah. are people right to feel there's no place for them in the churches? If I bring you back to the year 2003, I was on retreat with um, my fellow bishops in the Church of Ireland uh, and uh, one of the lay brothers uh, in the monastery was deputed as it were, to listen and talk to us. And uh, that was around the time when I think the whole question of same-sex relationships and partnerships was coming to the fore in the Anglican Communion. And I went to talk to him and he said the following, well, Michael, we're not talking about it. The Orthodox aren't talking about it. At least you're talking about it. So that's one thing I would say. Um, I think within our own context, uh, we are not um, out of the thickets in any way yet. And I'm back to something I said earlier, the way in which... What happens in the society inevitably affects what happens in the church and it works both ways and we can't help that and we would not rejoice were that to be uh, in any other way. It's not resolved but actually I have to be honest and say that the Church of Ireland has not legislated against civil partnership. What I would say is that um, at our General Synod last year in 2012 we had a debate which almost extended over a couple of days. First we asserted afresh the teaching of the church, that marriage is between a man and a woman. But that had to go along with the first public statement on the part of the Church of Ireland that we would not in any way endorse any form of homophobia or rejection of people uh, who are homosexual within the life of the church. And thirdly, we'd commit ourselves to continue to talk and to listen. Now, parts two and three are everybody as important as part one. I think where we are with it, and the society I suspect will outrun us, is that we're not in a position actually even to contemplate same-sex marriage, but we do not legislate against civil partnership. Where it becomes particularly problematic, as you would realise, is that where there are people who find themselves in positions of religious leadership who are in uh, expressed civil partnerships. But as I say, the church has not legislated against it. 
That's all I can say. And Dr. McReevy, at least the Church of Ireland is talking about it, with the notable exception of some prominent Catholics, say like Mary McAleese. The Catholic Church isn't even talking about it. The the conversation is happening, um, perhaps not uh, in the way that uh, the Church of Ireland has done, but uh, it's it's there. It's it's. Uh, it's it's not quite the elephant in the room, but it's there. It's the it's an issue that is 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 constantly part of part of discourse. But I mean, listening to the 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 different voices here, um, you can see that uh, the the first thing that the uh, these world religions are are anxious to do is 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 to listen to God's word. Uh, we we are not we are not simply in the dark. Uh, in, in these matters, we we have been given the word of God, which is the light of God, to help us to live, to guide us, um, and so there, you know, the 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 Christian position is based solidly on the Book of Genesis. I'm sorry, but there we have to leave matters as the clock has beaten us once again. Thank you, Bishop John McAreevy, and best wishes for the sabbatical that you're about to embark on. Thanks also to Archbishop Michael Jackson, to Rabbi Zalman Lent and Ali Salim for sharing your views with our listeners. Your comments, of course, are always welcome. The email address is godslot at rte.ie. Our phone number is 01-208-2039 and our postal address is the Godslot, RTE Radio 1, Dublin 4. We'll be back next week at the same time. Good day, Shin. Good day, Shislam.